This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 is a series of five events exploring how Otautahi Christchurch can achieve its climate goals. Organized by Te Butahi Centre for Architecture and City Making, each event features a range of thought-provoking speakers, from local experts providing the latest information to local businesses and residents sharing their own experiences and actions. This is part one of the fourth event called 15-Minute Neighbourhoods, which explores the idea of getting everything you need for daily living within a 15-minute walk or bike ride from home. We hear from experts, individuals, and community groups who are already making the change and reducing their emissions in the process. The event is introduced by Dr. Jessica Halliday. Nua o tēnei takiwa, naituahuriri, ke te mihi, ke te mihi, ke te mihi. Ko Jessica Halliday tōku ingoa, ko ahau te kaiwhakahaere o te pūtahi, Centre for Architecture and City Making. Kia ora tātou katoa. It's my pleasure to welcome you all, those in the room and those joining us online, to 15-Minute Neighbourhoods, the fourth event in this Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 series. This event series considers the ways in which we can work together to meet this city's emissions reduction goals. When Joseph Hullen opened the first event in this series earlier this year, he used the Naitahu Whakatauki, Matoto, a mokuri, a a moku a uri a muri akine for us and our children after us. This whakatoki reminds us why emissions reduction and addressing climate change matters, who we need to keep in mind as we think and act on this important matter. There are two groups of people who have made today's event possible that we at Te Putahi would very much like to thank. Firstly, our supporters and sponsors, our series partner, Christchurch City Council, our series sponsor, the It's Time Canterbury Climate Campaign, and our research partner, the Huritanga Thread of Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities, one of the National Science Challenges. Secondly, thank, thank you to those of you in the front two rows, um, our 14 knowledgeable speakers. Thank you all for accepting our invitation to speak and help us better understand the characteristics and benefits of 15-minute neighbourhoods. Those of you in the room should have found It's Time Canterbury GAC cards on your seats, one pink and one green. Uh, it's important that you hold onto them and it's important that they're different colours. You'll need them later. And if you're online, don't worry, you'll be able to participate too in our interactive session. I would now like to welcome our Mayor, Leanne Dalzell, to open this exciting and vital conversation for Christchurch. Leanne. Ena mana, ena reo, e rauranga tirama, tene te mihi kia koutou, i te kaupapro te rā, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā ratato katoa. Uh, it is a pleasure to welcome you here for this, the fourth in a series of five conversations, each entitled Towards 2030. 2030 is a very important date, a date where our ambition is to see a net 50% re reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions. Each event has focused on achieving our carbon reduction targets and each invites us, 
not as civic leaders, not as city officials, not even as activists, but as citizens who care about our planet's future for us and our children's children after us. A very um, apt whakatauki from you, Jess, um, to kick things off. What can each of us do to take action in our own lives to contribute to the mahi that needs to be done? Today, as you've heard, is about 15-minute neighbourhoods. What can you do or get to by active means? Walking, cycling, on a scooter, on a skateboard, perhaps. I've dreamed of living in a 15-minute neighbourhood since I lost my home in Bexley after the earthquakes. Everything was within 15 minutes when I lived there. But now I have it all. I'm in 15 minutes walking and cycling distance of absolutely everything I need. I walked here today from home. A third of car trips in main urban areas in New Zealand are less than two kilometres. Really? Can't we do better than that? How hard would it be to knock that on the head? Just that one thing. One third of vehicle trips in cities. Um, and then there's another third that's less than five kilometres, and actually even I'm fit enough to do that one too. We could do this. Public and active transport initiatives would do much more to reduce our emissions than anything else. Tomorrow's session is the last in the series, and it's called Moving Around a 21st Century City. Uh, Tūranga Plaza comes alive at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Come and chat to people about cargo bikes. I had to even ask what a cargo bike was, but there you go. Um, easy to get around the city in one of those. Um, we're going to have council journey planners there, and they often help businesses that are coming back into the city about how their workforce can get in and out of the city easily without bringing their um, private automobiles into, into, into town. Lime scooters and e-bikes, um, Metro's electric bus. You can even have a selfie in the driver's seat of an electric bus and just show the way of the future. Um, the inner workings of a Nissan Leaf, I'm told, are on display as well. Um, and talk to some residents who own electric cars. Um, there's another talk in here at 1.30, and I think that's the, the, the last one of the series. But I guess that the, it, it is expressing to you and your attendance here today and the fact that we're booked out is that the challenge is urgent. There are, and I'm not going to be political, I'm not running for election again, so um, I do see Mike Davidson sitting in the audience, though. I didn't recognise you with your mask on um, for a minute. And um, there are three council elections between now and 2030, and we actually need to see that as an opportunity to invest in the future. As I said, I'm not running again, but I still have got as much to lose as everyone else. And if you're thinking about how that uh, might pan out, I want you to be asking the right questions of the candidates who are putting themselves forward to lead this city through this most crucial decade. So that's all I'm going to say from a political perspective. We cannot, and I'm now going to allow myself to paraphrase um, Obama, we cannot allow the next generation to inherit a city beyond its capacity to repair.
So thank you very much um, to Te Pūtahi for leading these important and urgent conversations. Thank you in advance to all of our speakers today. Thank you again for being here, both live and online. And thank you for caring, and most importantly, for being prepared to act. Norada tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tato katoa. Uh, kia ora, thank you, Leanne. So here's how this afternoon is going to roll. We've got uh, a series of speakers, 14 in total, and two of those involve an interview. There is, as I mentioned, also an interactive element in the middle where you can all participate. So it's a packed programme, so we'll be keeping introductions really snappy. Can you please ensure that your mobile phones are on silent? Um, and if at some point you hear a soothing chime towards the end of the presentations, that's our speaker's one-minute mark. To start us off, I'd like to highlight another really scary stat, which is coming up in Hamid's uh, presentation a little later. It's worth hearing more than once. In Christchurch, we make 9.3 car trips per household per day. Yeah, 9.3. New Zealanders make more than one billion short car trips, that's under two kilometres, every year. And those trips are powered by fossil fuels, largely, petrol and diesel. And those release greenhouse gases, particularly carbon dioxide, into the atmosphere when burnt. And that is at the heart of, climate, of the climate crisis. Christchurch's car dependence is the direct result of sprawl, in particular those large standalone houses on once productive land spreading north and west, and of urban planning that revolves around private motor vehicles. Today we're going to consider how our neighbourhoods and city could be designed and used differently in a way that will minimise these multiple short car journeys. Now, to kick us off, when we can, we've started these events um, by listening to a younger person talk about their vision for the future in relation to the topic. This afternoon, we are delighted to introduce Thomas Blakey, a University of Canterbury student studying geography and political science. Thomas. Thomas will let us in on his hopes for what his life would be like in a denser neighbourhood. Thank you for the introduction, Jess. Growing up, I've moved around between neighbourhoods a fair bit. I've lived in Brooklands, I've lived in St Albans, Redwood and Linwood, which all have had aspects of a 15-minute neighbourhood. From the corner dairy, a playground and park on my street, a fish and chip shop a few minute, walks, few minute walk away, a whole lagoon where I could catch flounder and work just a 10-minute bike away, these qualities are of what have made my neighbourhoods great. In these places, though, there's only been one or two types of housing. Also, for some, a long drive to school an even further drive to the supermarket, no library and no public transport. The differences have been plain between the neighbourhoods where I could get everything I need really easily, really easily and those where I've had to tra travel everywhere to get anything at all. Looking at our own communities, I think we can all find aspects of a 15-minute neighbourhood. For me, I love scootering to school and stopping off at the park on the way home. I also love stopping uh, the, at the sneaky stop at the dairy to get some hubba-bubba with my pocket money. Um, 
these qualities of a connected and a close community, community where people find others to bond with, are key to life. And this is where I see our future. Making people the core of our communities and de designing our neighbourhoods this way, by making sure there is a range of housing for everyone to live in, and the amenities, all the stuff we need to thrive, are around us too. In my life, I've been lucky enough to have the local primary school, local high school, local kindergarten, hairdresser, and lots of sport clubs, all within 15-minute walk or bike of my home. And these have all been made possible by the community surrounding them. I even use my local library to wait in for my local music lessons. Now imagine how many more great places there would be for us to interact with double the amount of people, double the amount of housing. Imagine all the great things that could happen, all the extra services that could be enabled, and the freedom that would be felt by not needing a car to get to all the places you need. As a young person growing up, the design of these neighbourhoods have shaped my life hugely. Young people can't just escape in their car to somewhere else for the connections they need. The neighbourhoods where I've grown up are where I've stayed. Good design of a 15-minute neighbourhood means freedom for me and for young people and for those who don't have the means of travelling around in a car. Growing up, the idea, the Kiwi idea of independence and freedom has been getting a car. But if we all grew up in close and connected communities, I feel this would be a lot different. I, I had the lucky opportunity to go to school, scoot there, and it was really great, really close. But for years, I had football practice just six minutes bike away, and instead of biking, Mum would drop me off because it was the opposite, on the opposite side of a busy main road and who would want to bike down there? As our neighbourhoods evolve, I see our streets as a huge opportunity. They are gigantic untapped resources of open space that can be transformed from something that has been reserved for cars into something that is an amenity for the whole population. Redeveloping these spaces into people places with trees and amenity is essential in developing our great communities. This could look like pocket parks, basketball courts, cricket grounds, uh, community gardens or spaces to gather around with shops and cafes. Places all essential for those who don't want the hassle of a big garden or who, for those who don't have the means for one. When you have a whole green corridor outside your front door, the need for a huge garden seriously seems less, because especially when you have the joy of meeting others and interacting with others. I hope for neighbourhoods where age and income do not determine where you, where you have to live, a place where a range of housing choices are available to encourage the mixing of every type of person, where apartments, granny flats, mixed-use homes and duplexes duplexes all enable people to age and thrive in the communities they call home. I see these smaller and mid-scale buildings fitting into the fabric of our neighbourhoods where people want to live, in turn supporting the walkability, local retail public and public transportation options of our neighbourhoods. I hope for neighbourhoods where age and income do not determine where you have to live. And that's what I love about our great neighbourhoods at the moment, which go far beyond the form of the buildings. It's the location, the businesses and the people, the walkability, human-scale streetscapes and old street trees that could easily shelter low-rise apartments. These are the things that we need in our future. Neighbourhoods which are more equitable for us as people and for the environment. 
which are solutions to the climate and housing emergency we all face. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Thomas. Jim Lundy, it's time for you to come to the stage now and uh, take that far seat. So, Jim and I are going to have a conversation uh, so that we can all get our heads around the whole idea of what a 15-minute neighbourhood is. But to introduce James. James Lundy is, or known as Jim, um, is an urban designer who, though, uh, who, though hailing from Scotland originally, now calls Christchurch home and has for quite a long time. He has experience with urban development spanning the globe from Scotland to Australia and a number of places in between. His experience and his ethos show a desire to, to design cities around culture in Glasgow, in Melbourne, and here in Ototahi. Um, so welcome, Jim. So what is a 15-minute neighbourhood? It was just described to you. Um, a 15 neighbour. if you go back... Before the car, which remember is only since the late 50s and 60s, and the car dominated the cities. Uh, the cities were based around public transport, so they were based on tram corridors, and so everybody had to walk to the tram to get somewhere else, and everybody had to walk to their local school, the shops, um, offices, dentists, doctors. Everything was in walking distance. Libraries. There were small borough councils, so you dealt with all the local things locally in these borough councils. Um, and, and that's true whether you were in Glasgow or whether you were in Christchurch or whether you are in Auckland. So um, if you take Auckland, because Auckland's urban villages and their 15-minute neighbourhoods are still very intact, um, but they're all affluent now. You know, Ponsonby, Greylin, Freeman's Bay. Um, and, and so to all these developers out there who have never built the things that I've designed, I, I would say stop looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, because they keep saying the only thing it can sell is a single house on a single plot um, at a low density. Uh, that's not what is going to create the 15-minute neighbourhood. So a 15-minute neighbourhood is walkable? It has everything you need every day? What are the key features or characteristics? Well, everybody talk, I'll take it the other way around because I think that what we need to do is, what does it take to create a 15-minute neighbourhood? Well, that might be one of my other questions. Yeah, let's let's okay, give let, the people let, who let's... don't know what one is okay, so what, a key description. Like, well, what would key, you find there? A key description of, of a 15-minute neighbourhood is it, it would have a fairly intense centre. It would probably be on a, a public transport corridor. Um, it would have minimal car intervention within that neighbourhood. Um, because the cars take up a lot of space, they create noise, they make it inhospitable, they make it difficult to cross roads to get to schools, so people stop letting their kids cycle and walk. So you have to reduce the cars in a 15-minute uh, neighbourhood. Um, you would not be able to park anywhere because people are inherently lazy. And so if you have to drive around for 15 minutes to park, you'll probably walk 15 minutes rather than drive around for 15 minutes. Uh, you have a mixture of housing. And I, I hate the cliches, but that sort of ageing in place... So you, you would be able to start off in a rental house and a very small bed sit, uh, work your way up to a large family house and work your way back down to a very, old, very small bed sit without ever having to move out of that neighbourhood if you didn't want to. Um, it would have local shops, it would probably have local food production, local market, supermarket, but, but 
the added thing it needs is local governance, governance as well. Because I've spent probably the past 30, over 30 years trying to uh, rejuvenate city centres, and particularly the work in Christchurch is all about rejuvenating city centres. Unfortunately, that's wasted work now, because really I think what we're talking about is multinodal centres when we talk about 15-minute neighbourhoods. And so we're really talking about low-movement society, a society where you don't have to move around much by car or public transport, where you can actually live in your neighbourhood and have informal social um, communication with people. Great. So what are, what's so great about them? What are the advantages or benefits of them? Well, one of the big advantages is when we, in the 50s and largely in the 60s, when we decided to redesign cities all over the world but for the car, but basically it was for the industries that sat behind the car, the oil industries, the, road, the motor car industries, they bought up the public transport and they closed the public transport and they introduced buses. And we seem to forget that it was actually coordinated and it was to do with consumerism and changing. But that, what I think we didn't realise is how much it would change the way we lived. So we went from living communally to living as individuals. You know, as Margaret Thatcher said, there's no such thing as community. There's only the individual and the family. Well, she was wrong. Um, and she was much despised for being wrong as well. So basically, it's about recreating that community. I know as well as a lot of people, and again, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's actually true. It does take a community to bring up a child, particularly in the society we have today with the stresses and the number of single parents that are around and the number of children that have anxiety issues. It takes a family, it takes a village to grow a family. But we are isolating ourselves in suburbia and we end up with neurosis. We end up either sitting and watching Netflix all day because we can't be bored going out. If we go out and drive, we end up having to leave the car and get an Uber, or we just don't bother going out and we just drink at home. And slowly you can see the suburbanisation of mentality, not just the physical form. Okay, so there are clear social and personal benefits to it, but are there other, what about economic? Well, there's economic benefits because the amount of time we spend in the car is non-productive time. The amount of um, land that we spend on the, the, the car, which in most places is about 40% of the land is given over to the car in one form or another. Um, and that is a huge waste of land. Uh, we live at the car's pace and we live under the anxiety of the car, the noise, the smell. When you take all of that out, you find yourself in a quieter environment, in a gentle environment, where the pace is slower, but you're actually more productive. You can smell bread baking. You can smell someone having a coffee. You can hear them singing in the bath. You can't do that when you have a car-dominated uh, environment. And will it be... So I get the, that there'll be... Um lower costs from spending less money on transportation. What about the cost of housing? Uh, I don't know what's going on with the cost of housing, unfortunately. Well, I don't but, mean specifically, but, but, but will but the 15 specifically, well, to help? The only way we can actually bring the cost of housing down is to create a whole variety of different types of houses and tenures. Um, we have to maybe move away from the fixation with owning a house for the whole of your life and being able to live in a house for the rest of your life rather than owning. We need to move away from having to own land to being happy enough to live on, on leasehold land. And so you only pay for the improvements. We need to get used to living in more compact 
housing. We need to stop spending $2,000 a square metre building a lined garage with insulation in it, uh, where we actually store all the junk that we should have thrown out years ago. Uh, and, and so we actually need to sort of make our life, to make our life bigger, we need to make it smaller. Okay. So um, is density involved then? It's very much, because if you take, um, if you take a five minute walk, because Americans can't walk 15 minutes, but if you take a five minute walk, um, that takes you about 400 metres at a normal walking pace, a slow walking pace. Um, if, if you, so that's 400 metres that you could walk for facilities. 15 minutes um, is, is about 1.2 kilometres. And so five minutes, a five minute radius is about 50 hectares. Um, the the 1.2 kilometre, well, that's, I think that's about 450 hectares. Uh, Population-wise, five minutes, 2,600. Population-wise, 26,000, if you go 20 houses per hectare. So at the end, it's really funny because I'm hopeless at maths, but urban design ends up being maths as well. And if you get that density, that's the density that Kenworthy and Newman uh, worked on years and years ago, which is sufficient to maintain a decent public transport system. And if you think of a, a, a one kilometre square neighbourhood, 26,000 is sufficient to have local shops. And so it's absolutely essential, but we build at half that density. OK, so we're... A 15-minute neighbourhood is going to require us to double our density. Different typologies. And yeah. it's not good enough just to cram more of the same in smaller and smaller lots. You need to move to a mixture of apartments, terrace houses, semi-detached, masonettes, single houses, mansions, everything. Yeah. And everybody should be living in one neighbourhood, not everybody, but a mixture of people from young, old, wealthy, poor, unemployed, retired, a, a community, in other words. OK, so to create this magical land of 15-minute neighbourhoods, where would you look for leadership on this? Uh, Here in Aotearoa, New Zealand and in Christchurch? Well, I, I mean, we're, we're seeing leadership coming from the top down at the moment with the changes in the Planning Act. Um, the problem is the debate isn't coming up from the bottom up. Um, and, and Unless the, you want to listen to Thomas. Uh, yeah, but, but th this is where the issue, uh, issue occurs, is we need politicians that are brave enough to put their head on the chopping block at elections by saying, I'm sorry, you are going to be overshadowed by that apartment. You weren't last year, but now there's going to be six-storey apartments across the road from you. Um, you'll just have to put up with it. Um, and that takes brave leadership because uh, the central government are that bit more distant when they make these decisions from local government. And so they don't get hammered quite as much as local politicians do when you try and impose something. It's not, that's my opinion, I don't think it's going to happen with a groundswell of people rising up and saying, we want 15-minute neighbourhoods, we want apartments, we want all this. It's actually going to take leadership to do it. But when people taste it, see it, smell it, live in it, they love it. And I live in the city centre as well, and Leanne does as well. Other people live in the city centre. I walk everywhere. It's great. I can go to the library, I can go to bars, I can go to restaurants, I can walk to work. I do all of that. I don't really need to use the car unless I want to get out. And even that's being lazy because the public transport's not that bad here. 
And I can get it free now, so I should be using it. <laughs> I'm Scottish, I don't know why I'm not. I know we talk about affordability. If you think of the amount of money you spend on a car every year, um, insurance, maintenance, the purchase cost, the higher purchase or the, the interest if you borrow money for it, um, it it's, it's probably half as much as your mortgage. And so if, and if you could take, most families have at least two cars, if you can take that away from people, then you actually make things more affordable. So, see if you can answer this really quickly, because we don't have much time left, but what's the first thing you'd do if you wanted to retrofit a neighbourhood in Ototahi Christchurch to be a 15-minute neighbourhood? What's the first thing you'd do? Um... I'd use council funds to compulsory purchase a, a large amount of land and buildings in it. I'd take the cars out of the streets and then I'd do a master plan then I'd let the private sector go and build what I planned. OK, brilliant. <laughs> um, Michelle, do we have any time left? We've got one minute. OK, so... Where do you... Th I mean, if, if we were to do small things to help support this movement, if there was a groundswell of people who wanted to see this here, what do you think we should do? Well, I, uh, this comes back to uh, when I started teaching at the university. We ran a little programme about retrofitting suburbia into green. It was quite interesting. Most people played around with the same idea. They took a cul-de-sac and they took the cars out of the cul-de-sac. They got rid of the garages. This is just design-wise. They didn't really do it. Uh, they got rid of the garages. They started to put houses where the garages were, build little apartments at the beginning of the cul-de-sac, turn the cul-de-sac into gardens and parklands so that the, the, the gardens that were being lost with housing was actually being replaced in the, the cul-de-sac. And so you could, if you got a group of neighbours together, retrofit a cul-de-sac, even in deepest, darkest suburbia, where you actually create something that demonstrates what you can do. So you deal with your water locally, you deal with the stormwater locally, as you'd say, um, you generate power off the buildings locally, you grow fruit and veg locally, you have play equipment in the streets. Uh, you know, it's called Green Streets in other places. But the disappointing thing is the first Green Street I did was Swanson Street, 1984, and I'm still trying to get one done permanently. So I'm almost at the end, so I've only got a couple of years to finish now. Okay, cool. <laughs> hey, Jim, thank you so much for introducing us all to the concept of a 15-minute neighbourhood. Thanks. Great. So we are going to welcome our next speaker, who is Anna Elphick. Anna Elphick is on secondment from Christchurch NZ to the Greater Christchurch Partnership as their partnership manager and lead to Greater Christchurch 2050. This afternoon, uh, Anna is going to tell us about the work of that partnership. Um, and this is the larger regional context that could support the creation, potentially, of more sustainable, connected neighbourhoods locally. Anna. Uh, kia ora koutou. Um, I'm going to, uh, hopefully, some slides. Have some slides? Great. Um, here we go. So I just want to talk to you quickly about two projects that we've got going at a Greater Christchurch Partnership level. Um, the Greater Christchurch Partnership, as Jessica was saying, is a partnership that's bigger than just Christchurch City. Um, so it involves Selwyn, Waimaka area and Christchurch City Councils, Environment Canterbury, Mana Whenua, CDHB and central government. It's been around for quite a while and its job really is to uh, coordinate and collaborate around the sort of things that we're talking about at the scale of Greater Christchurch. 
And the reason we want to do that is because we understand that our communities and our economies are interconnected. We understand that we share resources and share infrastructure. And so by planning these things together, um, we get a more um, effective um, uh, plan overall. Um, Greater Christchurch is the city of Christchurch and the commuting towns around it, so you can see that uh, image up there. Uh, so um, in terms of the priorities of our partnership, um, we've been working, um, we've been focusing on two things really. Um, uh, firstly, around um, creating a, a, a strategy for Greater Christchurch, for the people in place of Greater Christchurch called Greater Christchurch 2050. And this is really sitting in this context of intergenerational wellbeing, which is about not just thinking about the wellbeing of our people and our communities now, but how that impacts on our future generations and how, the envi how, our, how our impact on the environment uh, plays into that. And so these conversations around climate change and our environmental footprint's really relevant. Uh, the second piece is around um, a spatial plan. Now, I'm not a planner, so I can tell you what a plan is in uh, basic language, um, which is a spatial plan is essentially um, how we plan the physical space of our area. So how we plan how we get around, uh, how we live, where our businesses are, the way that we, uh, our, our urban system um, operates as a, as a physical sense. We do all of this work really strongly in partnership with Mana Whenua, but also in partnership with central government because we, and you know, we've seen from the recent announcement, central government has a big impact on our urban area as well. And so we need to be um, understanding how we can work together to get the best outcomes. Uh, so back in like, this time last year, we went out and spoke to about 3,500 people in the community and asked them what they wanted for Greater Christchurch. And you can see up there, it's the sort of things that we've just been talking about. People want affordable housing. People want an easy, to be easily to get around through walking and cycling and bus um, networks. People want access to open spaces. They want us to stop urban sprawl, to, to address climate change, to reduce our environmental footprint. And young people want the same things, except they want some other things too. They also want us to address and recognise and value diversity. They want us to celebrate Maritanga much more significantly than we do. And they want vibrancy, and I, and I think we all want that. They want things to do. They want access to leisure, entertainment, and those sorts of things in their local communities. So we, the other thing we did when we did Greater Christchurch 2050 is we had a look at how we're performing in terms of our well-being. And in some areas, we're performing reasonably well. Um, we have a reasonably, we, relative to Auckland and Wellington and the rest of New Zealand, we've got reasonably good what you call social capital. You know, our, our communities are reasonably connected. People feel good about where they live. They feel they've got a good quality of life. Where we perform poorly is around our environmental footprint. Um, and you've heard before, and I'm going to talk about it too, you know, the level of, um, of, of emissions we produce um, as a community, uh, the, our environmental footprint, our impact on productive lands, on our waterways, on the quality of our water. Uh, so that's really a, a key a area of work um, and sort of thinking about how, our, how we live in an urban environment impacts on, the, on nature is a really important, um, much stronger emphasis, I would have to say, than we probably have had in the past. So the priorities within this Greater Christchurch 2050 um, are sitting up there for you. I'm not going to go all through those um, in detail, but I just want to speak to that first one, which is a build, about building sustainability and wellbeing into our urban form. And that's really what we're talking about here, is how do we embed within the way that we live, the way we build our cities and our urban areas, to make sure that they work for people and they work for our environment as well. 
So I just want to talk a little bit about um, this thing called a spatial plan. Um, so a spatial plan is very much about setting a long-term direction for how our urban area will work into the future. And that's being guided by both um, by the central government policy and this thing up there called... Um, I haven't got it up there, actually. I took it out. The MPSUD, which is a, the National Policy um, Statement on Urban Development, is really providing a lot of guidance and direction and sometimes quite... Um, explicit direction for us in terms of how we need to um, manage and develop our urban area. Our local context in terms of Greater Christchurch 2050 and what our community have told us about what they want, and also um, in terms of partnership with Mana Whenua, the expectation and priorities of Mana Whenua. Um, through doing the spatial plan, that then provides us with the plan, if you like, or the context for us to then make decisions about infrastructure. Where are we going to put our public transport um, routes? What sort of um, infrastructure do we need to plan for to make sure, and that's not just physical, but also um, uh, amenities, um, community facilities, those sorts of things for the future. I've heard that little jingle. <laughs> so the big questions we wanted to, de he um, to deal with through the, um, uh, greater, uh, the Greater Christchurch Spatial Plan um, are up there. And uh, the first one um, in terms of climate change impacts really um, um, significant. And so when we're doing the Spatial Plan, we're not just looking at in a short term, we're wanting to look over that 100-year time horizon. How do we think about future-proofing our urban form? How do we think about moving that urban form so that we can, we're both mitigating the impact of climate change through reducing our carbon emissions, but we're also responding to some of the challenges that climate change are going to give us in terms of how we adapt and respond, particularly in our coastal areas and areas uh, susceptible to flooding. So just to finish off, um, I just wanted to put a couple of stats up here. Um, first one is that, you know, at a current state, around 35,000 households, and you just think about that number, in Greater Christchurch are sitting in with housing stress. That means that they are paying more than 30% of their weekly income on housing costs. That's only going to get worse, and we're seeing that get worse over time. The second point is, I guess, up there is, that, is around um, our climate impact. 35% um, of that, or 36% of it, I think, um, is, is related to our, our land transport, so our driving around. Um, so 7.1 tonnes of, um, of emissions per person per year comes out of, um, out of Christchurch. We don't have that number for Greater Christchurch. Um, and the other point is, is that, you know, we, we talk about we cannot build a wall, right? So people are going to keep coming to our great place because we're a great place to live. That means we need to think about how we... Um, address and make sure that we retain well-being in, in our communities as our population grows. And, you know, it's not unrealistic to think that we will get to a million people within the next 50 to 60 years. So in terms of how people get involved in this work, um, we're going to be... Um, Greater Christchurch 2050 plan is, is well on the way to be landed over the next few months. With the spatial planning, early in the new, new year, February, March time, we will be going out for public engagement. And this is really to ask the community and the experts and all the other people who have an opinion on this to help us think about how our urban form should be developing over that next 30 to 50 to 100 years. What do we need to do now and, and to make sure that we are embedding that wellbeing and sustainability into urban form? And how do we transition through that period? Um, so I would really encourage you to be involved and keep an eye out for that sort of engagement happening early in the new year. Thank you. Uh, that was great. Thank you, Anna. Um, 
Our next presentation is one that has been pre-recorded on Zoom. It's by Stuart Dunn, who's a landscape architect and urban designer and a principal at Studio Pacific Architecture in Wellington. Um, so Stuart is one of the lead designers for the proposed new 220-hectare carless, carless, uh, Sunfield development in South Auckland and he is going to speak briefly about the vision that they have for this new 15-minute neighbourhood. So let's cue that. So uh, Kostra Dunn Toko Ingoa, uh, I'm a principal and landscape architect at um, Studio Pacific Architecture in Wellington. Um, I'm going to talk to you very briefly today about uh, the Sunfield Master Planned Community, um, which is a 15-minute neighbourhood, um, sustainable neighbourhood across 220 hectares in um, Auckland. Um, uh, just for a, bit of, a little bit of context, um, we are uh, South Auckland, so south of Manukau on the Southern Growth Corridor um, for Auckland. So um, just on the edge, the green areas here are future urban areas uh, zoned currently within the urban uh, unitary plan. Uh, so we're kind of just on the edge of that. We're about three kilometres from the main artery of the rail line, uh, which, which connects us up to Auckland CBD and Brithamart, which is important when we come to the next stages, um, and obviously the state highway through the middle there. So just for a little bit of context, that's where we are in the world. Um, before I start talking about the project, I guess I just wanted to say that um, everything, um, it is a real project. Um, it's a 15-minute neighbourhood, um, sustainable neighbourhood. Um, it is quite a visionary project by Winton, um, who are looking to develop the land. Um, but it's based on current technologies and current practices. So everything in here is real um, and is a real project. Um, it's currently in front of the um, in front of uh, the government. Uh, sorry, in, in for uh, planning for stage one planning through the um, the government's um, Urban Development Act. Um, the first project to do so. So we are hopeful that it will get the tick and we'll be into sort of more detailed design early in the new year. So um, just wanted to preface the conversation by saying that. Um, I've only got a few minutes, so um, it, it, it's it's based on a, on a car less development. So we, before we started the design, we developed a series of um, design principles. So really, in response to you know, the climate emergency, uh, the housing crisis, uh, and also market you know market led approach to to people wanting to live uh, differently in different sort of communities. So underpinning the design is this idea of um, car less living, which is really about removing. The private motor vehicle um, out of the equation. Now, to do that, um, we've looked at a range of scales, and I won't slow down on this because of time. But we're looking at you know at the macro through to the micro, um, and what levers we need to pull uh, in order to enable car-less living. So, here's the plan. Um, there is a website. Um, I encourage you to to to, to have a look. Um, Sunfield, and um, there's quite a lot of information on there. But at a really high level, um, 220 hectares is a is a large piece of land um, and so what we looked at was what do we need to um, provide within that neighbourhood to enable people to uh, not need to travel um, particularly by use of a motor vehicle so thinking about walking and cycling in this idea of getting the things you need within a sort of 15 minute radius so um, the, the plan is made up of a, of a range of walkable neighbourhoods interspersed with uh, neighbourhood centres, uh, large areas of employment, uh, schools, retirement villages. So the idea that we're creating this really rich and diverse community, um, which is all connected through walking and cycling and active modes. Uh, there is only one really primary road through the development, which is this loop road through here, which we've called the Sunfield Loop. 
um, which will run an autonomous bus service um, that will connect that local railway station. So trying to provide all those things within the community that the community might need on a day-to-day basis and then where they need to travel further afield or people need to come in, providing really viable um, and efficient and attractive um, public transport options um, and active transport options, so dedicated cycle lanes um, and things. So um, I'm going to skip through a few slides because I'm conscious of time, but um, one of the things I really wanted to just highlight was, was removing the cars is a real game changer. Um, and I think that's kind of the takeaway message. Um, you know, it, it's not just a development that's based on a traditional layout and then taking the cars away. If you start from that premise of, of removing cars, and when I say removing cars, I'm talking about uh, separating car ownership from, from the lot. So there will still be provision for some car ownership, but it won't be a car parked out the front of the house. And as soon as you do that, you can start to think about the way that the neighbourhood works in a different way um, and the spaces that you can create um, are quite different. Uh, so this is a little uh, a rendering of, of a laneway through the neighbourhood here. So uh, these houses are not accessible by car. Um, you can access them through walking uh, and through cycling. And so... Um, and so it really changes the space and blurring that boundary between public and private space, you know, as we move into more compact modes of living, you know, this is uh, medium to high density living, uh, the trade-off, you know, smaller house, smaller lot, but the trade-off then of, of using that space, that communal space much more wisely, if you think about the amount of roading infrastructure um, that's put into usual developments, if we can start to reframe the way that that space is used, uh, you know, it starts to create much more attractive places for community, uh, which is really the takeaway message. Um, I was also asked to talk about, um, uh, you know, what we can do in existing in existing neighbourhoods, because obviously we're talking about a greenfield development. When you start with, you know, with that scale of land and a consolidated approach, you know, it opens up a lot of doors. Um, but I guess I just was an invitation to think about the environments we live in. This is a photo that's actually from from the UK, but. But that idea that it doesn't have to be an expensive solution, I think just thinking about space differently in terms of the amount of space that's given over to roading infrastructure, um, if we can start to prioritise those places for people, I think it changes the, changes the way we think about our neighbourhoods. Uh, so that was it, really. Gosh, that goes, five minutes goes very fast. But anyway, I hope that's, um, I hope that's interesting. Um, and as I say, I do encourage you to have a look at the, uh, at the website and um, find out a bit more about it. So, yeah, we are really grateful that Stuart made the time to prepare and record that segment with us. It does demonstrate that the concept of the 15-minute neighbourhood is very real here in Aotearoa. So our next two speakers are both going to tell us what data can tell us about how accessible and connected our neighbourhoods here in Otatahi Christchurch already are. So I'll introduce both of them together and then they'll follow one another. The first is uh, Hamid Mirbacha, a senior transport network planner at Christchurch City Council. He has 14 years experience in private and public uh, in the private and public sector in New Zealand and Iran. Uh, Hamid, do come up. His main areas of interest are transport and land use integration, emission reduction planning and transport safety via utilising big data transport models and GIS to inform accessibility mode shift emissions and land use integration analysis. And after Hamid, uh, our, uh, the following speaker will be PhD student Mitchell Anderson, who will show us a neighbourhood data visualisation tool he and his colleagues at the University of Canterbury have developed. 
At the conclusion of the afternoon's presentations, you'll be able to have a closer look at uh, the tool that Mitchell will demonstrate and talk with the research team. But first, please welcome Habib. Thank you for the lengthy introduction. <laughs> uh, kia ora, everyone. Uh, so uh, we had very nice, interesting discussions around everything uh, with regards to urban planning and everything else. Now I'm talking. I'm going to talk about the um, concept of 15-minute city from a transport uh, point of view. So I hope. Yeah. So let's start with some uh, shocking facts and figures. Uh, residents of Christchurch. Uh, in 2018, we drove. 2.2 billion kilometers of vehicle, with our vehicles. That's a space trip to the planet Saturn and back. Compared to that, uh, we walked, we used our bicycles, we took public transport for altogether less than 10% of that. And it matters how we travel, as Jessica said earlier. In 2016 17, 2.7 megatons of uh, carbon dioxide uh, equivalent were emitted from Christchurch alone. 54% um, of that were due to transport, uh, including air aviation and stuff like that. 40% were land transport, which including rail uh, in, this, in it as well. So 36% um, was just roading uh, what, what we are actually using the petrol and diesel for on our daily trips. 9.3 is the number of our daily trips an average household in Christchurch generates. That equates to three-point car trips every single person in Christchurch. Well, in response to that, uh, Christchurch City Council um, set to, has set to uh, ambitious but very necessary target, targets. 50% uh, reduction by 2030 and a net uh, zero by 2045. And in response to that, the transport uh, unit has um, adopted the concept of 15-minute city because arguably it's one of the most uh, effective and least painful uh, measures that we can deliver uh, from the transport point of view. And this is to do with reducing the number of our daily car trips or reducing the distance that they are tra travel for. So 15-minute city in terms of, uh, it's, not, it's not just transport, it's an integration of land use and transport. Uh, so it includes uh, increasing the infrastructure, like the, what we do in Christchurch for increasing, uh, expanding the network of major cycle routes or providing some um, uh, bus priority lanes and uh, things like that, uh, permeable neighborhoods and like, uh, things like that. Second part is uh, targeted intensification around within the areas which have that sort of accessibility, which means putting more people where more services are accessible. Uh, to do this, we need to oops, uh, we need to uh, see where we are in this game. So we started looking into the um, facts and figures and started to extract the characteristics and the purposes of our daily trips. 83% is the number, is the percentage of uh, car trips that we are making on a daily basis. 40% of those trips are less than four kilometers, easily cyclable within 15 minutes. 8% are under one kilometer, easily walkable within 15 minutes. Of the total trips that we are making on a daily basis, 25% are work-related. This is the trips we are making go and from work and also 
with an, you know, for work. 12% uh, for shopping, 12% for recreation and sports, 11% uh, uh, for education, dropping off kids and stuff. And other 40% other trips being um, attending doctors, uh, hospitals, um, going to bars, cinemas, restaurants, stuff like that, visiting family and friends. All right, so the way that we defined access here is the, um, is the number of households in Christchurch. So to, to identify where we are in this game, we started to see how many households in Christchurch having how much access to those major services. And we also then have to, had to identify those major services. And the major services, as, we've, uh, as, as shown there, are categorized into five major categories as employment, being commercial, industrial, food shopping, with confined it to just supermarkets, not dairy stores, education, only public schools and uh, universities, open spaces, any type of open space which is publicly accessible to everyone, and medical needs, uh, because the population is aging, it is no secret. Uh, GPs, medical centers and hospitals. These are the five uh, major destinations we identified for the trips being made in Christchurch. All right, starting with the maps. Uh, so Jim previously told us that uh, average speed of walking is uh, five kilometers per hour. We assume slightly more conservatively four kilometers per hour because, again, aging population and more inclusiveness in this um, study. So this is showing uh, quite a lot of supermarkets across, uh, you know, all over the city. There are still substantial gaps, you can see, as you can see. Next map. Um, I might be able to show you um, where the central city is. Central city located there. New Brighton, Hornby, Littleton, down here. So this is the scale of the map. Uh, this is the medical needs, so GPs, medical centers, and hospitals. You can see the um, catchment is slightly bigger, but still there are some essential gaps. Uh, employment opportunities. Uh, any sort of residential, uh, industrial lands shown in blue and uh, commercial lands, commercial sort of um, trip attraction centers, e.g. Uh, central city or key activity centers like Eastgate Mall, um, uh, Westfield, Hornby, Northlands, stuff like that, uh, are shown in yellow color. Slightly better uh, catchment again. Uh, to education, you can see much better, much better coverage of the entire city. You can see uh, universities in pink and uh, public schools in green. And finally, there is a reason that we are called Garden City. Uh, it is access to parks and open spaces. Nearly all of the entire city is covered uh, within the 15-minute reach of parks and open spaces, whether big and small. Um, and now let's look at all of them together. If we overlay all of them together and count number of services that every residential household unit has access to. Those green beats bits are the parts which have uh, access to all of those five services that I just counted. You can see dark greens in like Rickerton, in Central City, Sydenham. Uh, slightly paler green is four services. Yellowish, greenish is um, three services. Uh, and two services and one services are orange and pink. And you can see the way we go further away from the center of the city, we see more of those coverages. There are still some islands of inaccessibility within the range, within the closer range to the central city, but still uh, further away is more. In terms of numbers, 
Uh, more than 40% of our population, our residential land holding units, have access to four or more of those services within 15 minutes of just walking. Um, today I'm just talking about walking. We have done similar analysis for cycling and public transport, but this is just walking. So this is a great start point. 26% having access to three services. Only 30% of our population don't have a, a good access. Hence, that many car trips. Um, this is still not enough, uh, not good enough. So Krushish uh, Transport Unit, Krushish City Council's Transport Unit, has set a target for itself to increase the accessibility over the next 10 years uh, from this current starting point to somehow a bigger catchment, a bigger reach, uh, and increase those facilities um, to improve connectivity. And if you have attended, if you have participated in the Life in Krushish survey of 2021, we, you, might, you might have seen this question, which is basically talking about the same thing that we just talked about. And uh, the reason that we've done it is to identify why people might not see the thing that, the way that the analysis, the spatial analysis is showing us. Thank you for your attention. This has been part one of 15 Minute Neighbourhoods the fourth event in the Christchurch Conversations Towards 2030 special series on how to achieve the city's 2030 climate targets. Many thanks to Te Putahi Centre for Architecture and City Making for kindly sharing this recording. Podcasts of the whole series are available on the Plains FM website. Search Christchurch Conversations. Conversations.